Blog Talk Radio. October 23rd, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and if you've gone over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you see that I have a quite, uh, quite a list of program notes for today's show. The title... I built on the alliteration of last week, and I kind of maybe went overboard. It is this. It is Ryan Rackett's reporting, in scare quotes, radio, racism, and routes, all of those and more. Go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and check out the program notes. Before we dive into the stories, I have a couple little housekeeping things. The first link that you'll note under the program notes says 25 tips, for your digital product business. Those of you who are on my email list know that I am being a partner of Evan Pagan in his latest launch of his digital product blueprint. That link, the 25 tips, it will take you to the third video in the series in which he does give you, yes, 25 tips for your digital product business. So you can get an introduction to the type of content that he offers, his style of teaching, and see if it's something that you're interested in. If you want to be on my email list and learn next week why I myself am interested in this and why you might be interested in taking the course with me, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, and sign up as an email subscriber. And then I'll make sure and put you on the email list because this is the last time I'm going to be talking on the show and it's during next week that the launch, the actual uh, you know, product is going to be for sale. And I'm going to be releasing to my email lists the bonuses that I'm going to provide for people who sign up with me. So go ahead and do that. Don't let it go.com. The next link is something called the Strive Clubs Student Conference. And I have a guest online whom I'm looking forward to speaking to about this year's Strive Clubs Student Conference, which is going to take place in just a couple of weeks. Those of you who are students may have an opportunity to watch an exciting lineup of speakers for that. Hi, is this Margaret? Uh, I'm, I'm right here, yes. Hi. Yes, excellent. Um, this I'm speaking here live to Margaret Maluski. She is the Executive Director of Strive Clubs, and uh, on short notice, we've gotten her on the show here today to talk about this exciting conference. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks, and as I understand it, students are still able to sign up 
to participate in this conference, right? To go there and watch all of these great speakers. Absolutely. So uh, the conference is actually uh, titled The Morality of Value Creation and Trade. Um, and it's taking place from November 6th to 8th, which is the weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and there's still a few spots left. And the, the exciting thing is, is that we have full scholarships available for students to travel to Atlanta to attend the conference. So we're going to cover travel costs and hotel costs uh, for students to attend. So what you mean is there are only two more sponsored spots for students to go to this conference, right? Two more paid spots. There's actually there's a couple more. Yes, there's a few okay. more than two. Uh, but there's oh, okay. spots are limited because it's it's close to the conference. So uh, we encourage students to go on striveclubs.org and apply. And I'd also like to share a little bit about what the conference is going to include, if that's okay. Sure. Now, I wanted I wanted to back up first, though. Tell us about Strive. What is Strive? Uh, so Strive is uh, a new network of student clubs that's uh, grown out of the undercurrent student publication. Uh, we stand for Students for Reason, Individualism, Value Pursuit, and Enterprise. Nice. Uh, so we, essentially, we, we essentialize an aspect of objectivism, um, which is the, the concept of, of value pursuit is essential, uh, being a first-handed creator. Uh, we think that that's a really important aspect of the philosophy, and it's also the aspect uh, that's the most applied and that we use every day. And it's particularly important to students as they're starting on their college career because one of the main questions on their minds is, what am I going to do with my life? What what values am I going to pursue? What values am I going to create as I embark on my on my career and my life as an adult? Um, and so Strive Club is um, designed to offer students an opportunity to explore those questions for themselves in the context of the objectivist philosophy. Uh, what values do I want to create? How will I trade with others? How do I trade value for value uh, with others? And how do I create a happy life for myself? So those are the kinds of things that we're concerned with uh, offering to students. So basically, if a student wants to know, is this for me, uh, it's a student who's interested in pursuing those questions. Is there any other way that the student who this is, you know, that you want to attract, how would that student describe himself? How do they know, is this for me? Well, I think uh, the, the most important quality we're looking for is uh, a certain a certain spark, a certain initiative, a certain uh, desire to want to go and create something, uh, make something of your life. Um and, and to do it in a, in a, in a rational, reality-oriented way. Um, the, the clubs are actually very inclusive, so we, we welcome all, uh, all creators, if you will, anyone who wants to, to go and create something. And then we discuss uh, about how, we discuss how Ayn Rand's ideas can help them be more effective at that. Um, so, so it's quite a, a broad net that we're casting, and we think that it's going to create an interesting dialogue for uh, for all the value creators out there uh, to see if Rand's ideas are useful to them in, in their endeavors. So whereas the organization has some connection to objectivism and to Ayn Rand's ideas, you're not at all restricting the availability of participation in the conference to other people, and they, of course, I think they would find it a value looking at your roster of speakers. Yes, absolutely. So the conference uh, brings together 
um, I, I think of it as three poles, but they're, they're not actually opposite in any way. Uh, we have a number of uh, thought leaders, of intellectuals, who will come and talk about uh, a sort of theoretical framework. What, what does value creation require? Uh, what kind of uh, personal characteristics, what kind of uh, social political system, what kind of environment is required to create value? Because if, if, if a young person wants to be a value creator, they should be interested in the kind of environment that will allow them to do the things they want to do with their life. So that's sort of one one area of uh, discussion. And we will have Ankar Gatte, Yaron Brook, um, Greg Salmiri speaking on, on these kinds of questions. Uh, at the opposite pole, uh, we want to showcase a number of leading business people uh, who have been value creators in their own right in various areas of endeavor. And they'll come to talk to us about, you know, what does it actually take to do this? Uh, what did it take to achieve um, the, the kinds of things they've done in each of their fields? One one person we've invited is uh, Carter Laren, uh, mm-hmm. who is a Silicon Valley venture capitalist. Uh, we have uh, the CEO of a network of Montessori schools. Um, we have a number of um, lawyers, artists. Recently, uh, Scott Bergstrom is a writer who's had uh, the right to his uh, recent novel picked up to be made into a Hollywood film. So right, I've heard about that. People we want to showcase um, as, as success stories, if you will, and as inspirations. That is excellent. And, and this, this is, I would say, you know, typically in my show, we finish off with the good news, but I would say this is definitely good news about the culture that you're providing this sort of value instead of examples for students. Absolutely. And and the third the third pillar in, in the conference is is sort of applied skills. So we have a number of speakers who are coming to to talk about, you know, how to write a resume, how to mentor how to find a mentor, how to uh, present yourself um, as a young person, showcase the value that you can offer and, and get a good job opportunity. So there's a third aspect of, you know, how to get from here to there. You know, if you want to be a value creator, what can you do today as a young person uh, to get to the sort of level of achievement that some of the, the business people have, have reached? So we're very excited about this. It's, it's going to be a very positive event. And, and best of all, it's, it's free for all students who, who apply to, uh, to come to Atlanta in two weeks' time. Yeah, and if they do it quickly enough, they can grab up those few spots and have their travel reimbursed as well, which I think is a, an amazing opportunity. Um, I'm looking at all the speakers. Amesh Adalja is, is excellent in the field of uh, immunology and contagious diseases. Uh, Hale Azule is uh, excellent in terms of uh, psychology and, and the development of talent. Uh, Paul Beard, I've seen him speak. He's excellent before. Of course, Jerome Brook. Always. Jason Crawford, very successful. Alex Epstein, one of the examples I always tout on this show of of someone who is achieving acceleration in a positive direction in in the culture. A lot of great names that you've got lined up. So congratulations on putting this together. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Do you have any particular goals yourself for this conference? This is the first time that you've run the conference. What, What are your goals? Um, well, I have two goals. One is a, one is a big uh, overarching goal, which is to, to foster community um, and, and connect students with active professionals. I think it's really important to develop that relationship because um, as, as we want to make first-handed uh, choices about our career, often one of the things that stops us is a lack of knowledge about the leap that we're taking and, and the extent that we can get students um, 
you know, informed about what they want to do. Uh, I think they'll make better choices, and I think uh, the active professionals are really excited to see the kind of talent that's coming into the market, and uh, it might be an opportunity for them to recruit uh, students. In fact, we have two companies recruiting at the conference because they think that the kind of young people we will attract uh, will be of value to them. So that's that's the kind of community I want to build in mutual positive relationship. Um, but specifically for Strive Clubs, what we want to achieve is we want to find the next crop of 10 or 20 uh, club leaders um, to start Strive Clubs across the nation and uh, and conduct the kind of workshops that we like to offer on campus at their universities. So uh, we're looking to to ignite the next generation of clubs for 2016, and I think it will be very exciting. I think this is an exciting project. If people who are on the line listening now are not students, but they would like to help you achieve your goals, what they sh- what should they do? Oh, gosh. One is refer any students that they do know to our conference uh, at striveclubs.org forward slash conference. Um, And we're also looking for financial support, of course. Um, As we're going to be training our next uh, 20 student leaders next year, uh, we'll be flying them in for training two or three times through the spring to get them up to speed on the kind of content that Strive provides, on activism skills and leadership training. And, of course, that, that, uh, that that's expensive. And so to the extent that um, donors are willing to support these efforts and like what we're doing, uh, we absolutely welcome donations. And uh, we can you can also find the links on striveclubs.org. So striveclubs.org is where to go. Do you also have places to follow on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, or are you kind of not doing that yet? Oh, of course. Uh, you can uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Strive Clubs as well. Um, the Undercurrent and um, uh, Strive Clubs on Facebook are also available. So uh, Excellent. You can definitely like us and follow us and tweet us. Will do. We will do it. Um, I thank you, Margaret. I think we did cover all of it, and I wish you a successful conference. It sounds very exciting. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Excellent. Take care. Okay, so everyone, go to striveclubs.org. I think this is – I participated in a similar conference last year, and I found it a really great experience, networked with a lot of students, uh, and really enjoyed it. So I do think it's going to be a great and positive experience for these students who attend. So go check that out if you are interested. And now, without further ado, why don't we dive into Ryan Rackett's reporting, Radio Racism and Routes, starting off with Paul Ryan. And let me go over here actually to the chat room and say hello to everybody. I've got Fiona from halfway across the world. Thank you for joining us. I see Rob and Trevor and Freedom Breeze and just Jean. I'm wondering if I'm missing some other people. John, John Roberts, our Chief Justice. Haha. John Kenny, Jonathan Honig, hello. Good to see you. And thank you for the story that you sent me uh, earlier. So welcome, everyone. Let's talk a bit about Paul Ryan. It looks like he's going to run for Speaker of the House, and I don't know if his decision to run, which I assume I gather was reported yesterday, that it means he knows he's going to win, and he wouldn't, you know, run unless he was for sure going to win. I'm not sure. Uh, there was a little bit of a question mark as to whether he was going to run and agree to run before a certain rule in the House 
had been changed. They, he wanted a reform to a, quote, motion to vacate the chair rule. Um, this rule out there apparently was considered a constant threat to Boehner's standing, and maybe it made Boehner drink a lot more because he knew that he was doing things that the so-called base or basically anybody who hates government spending and uh, loves freedom Basically, all of us don't like the stuff that Boehner wants to do, and he knows he wants to do it. And so I guess he felt that pressure, and maybe he drank more. I don't know. Uh, Ryan doesn't want to become a drinker, and he knows he's going to do or want to try to do a lot of the same garbage. And so maybe he wanted to have that rule moved away. Uh, apparently, the Freedom Caucus, what they call the so-called Freedom Caucus in the House, was not going to um, either formally endorse Ryan or heed these specific requests, help him reform this motion to vacate the chair rule. But nonetheless, a solid majority of them said that they would vote for him. So I gather that that's enough for him to go ahead and uh, make the run. Rob in the chat room here says it's the rule to vacate Boehner. This rule, as I understand it, has been there for a long time since the time of Thomas Jefferson. So it hasn't been... Uh, you know, it's not like a, a Johnny-come-lately rule just for Boehner. But, you know, that's the thing. If if Ryan is asking for some sort of special concession to move in the direction of giving him a blank check before he would even run, to me that's kind of ridiculous, you know. And I can leave psychologists to, you know, speculate on it, but he's not going to run until he knows he's going to win, and then he also wasn't going to run until he got some sort of a blank check in the form of, you know, reforming this motion to vacate the chair rule. I don't know. Uh, When you have Boehner and Obama happy to have Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House, you know that it's not going to be all that great. Supposedly, this is a MSNBC story that I have. They, They say that Ryan has, quote, expressed solidarity with the Freedom Caucus's goals. But MSNBC goes on on to say that it's also clear that he isn't interested in intra-party warfare. Actually, there's a typo in an MSNBC article. Interesting. Okay, whatever. Um, He says, uh, whatever our differences, we are all conservatives. We were elected to defend the Constitution. We share the same principles, end quote. So what, anybody who's in the GOP is going to be seen as sharing the same principles? We have not seen that for way too long. And this is the reason that right now in the 2016 election for the GOP nomination, we see Carson, actually he's in the lead right now, and then Trump, number two, the two outsiders, the two confirmed outsiders are number one and number two so far. And it is because we know that the mere fact that you are wearing the GOP label doesn't mean anything. And in fact, If you are wearing the GOP label really proudly, that probably means something bad. And so, you know, Ryan, who's running as the unifying candidate for Speaker of the House, I don't know who else is running. Is there anybody else who's running who has a chance? I'm pretty sure that the reason he's running is because he knows that he's got it in hand. And he's just looking for some sort of a a guarantee and some sense of a semi-blank check, at least. I don't see that as a as a good sign. Any uh, comments here in the chat room about Ryan? Are you excited? They say Daniel Webster is still running. Okay. Anybody else? 
You going to be happy if we have Paul Ryan in there? You think it's going to be an improvement on Boehner to some extent? I guess he won't cry, right? Ryan won't cry. No reaction. People don't care so much about him in the chat room here. Meh. Yeah, that's SMF. SFMO, Mo, I think is what he wanted to call uh, him in the chat room. It just says, meh. Just Gene Ryan says, maybe, uh, of Ryan, maybe some improvement, but I'm not thrilled. Yeah. I I don't think that we're going to get much improvement from Ryan. Ryan has a track record of voting for pretty much all of the stimulus packages, any sort of raising of the debt ceiling and everything else. Ah. Uh, You'll be glad that Ryan is speaker on weekends, says Rob. Now, why is that? Is there a joke that I don't know? Uh, John Roberts says, blank check to do what? To cave into Obama, basically. He wants to be able to cave into Obama under the idea of, quote, getting things done. Right now, there's a big battle going on in Congress as to whether um, Obama's going to get his way with respect to military funding. Freedom Bree says, why did Ryan cross the road to get to the middle? Yeah. Um, So the question is, who is going to cave in and give Obama what he wants? Right now, we've got a majority, Republican majority in the House and the Senate, and we still have Obama basically getting what he wants because he keeps threatening to veto things like funding our military, which is ridiculous. Oh, Ryan is taking the weekends off for family. Excellent. Yes, I remember that. Um, He wasn't going to run because, you know, the balance, the work-life balance and stuff. Right now, we just have a term that needs to be finished out. We need to have it with somebody strong, not necessarily Paul Ryan, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. There is an article that Deborah Sloan sent me, and it was, Can Paul Ryan Keep His Dignity? This is from the Washington Post. Yeah, Dana Milbank says Joe Biden kept his dignity, and we'll talk about that in a second. Will Paul, Paul Ryan be able to do the same? Since the two top Irish Americans in politics have been the stars of indecision 2015, this falls double bill of painful public agonizing. Many Democrats have been urging Biden to run for the top job. Many Republicans have been encouraging Ryan, who unsuccessfully ran for Biden's job, to run for Speaker of the House. Biden, mourning the son's death, wavered and waffled until it was too late. On Wednesday in the Rose Garden, you know, he said that, no, I'm not going to be able to go ahead and run. Um, He says, as the family and I have worked through, this is Biden, as the family and I have worked through the grieving process, I've said all along that it may very well be that that process, by the time we get through it, closes the window on mounting a realistic campaign for president. And he says, I've concluded it has closed. Uh, Ryan, he says, Ryan's Hamlet routine is more complex. The job is for the asking, but maybe not worth having if he's only going to be mowed down by the GOP hardliners. Now listen to this, mowed down. Um, You mean people are actually standing up for the principles that Ryan, at least at the beginning, purported to be standing for. But no, you know, if they stand up and he's caving in, they're mowing him down. They say, wisely, Ryan said Tuesday night that he would take the job under certain conditions. And they say if he sticks to those demands, he too can survive this autumn of indecision with his reputation intact. So I guess the question is, is he going to um, 
you know, have his reputation intact if he takes the speakership without the modification of that vacate the chair rule and if he takes it without an actual official endorsement by that Freedom Caucus. Um, all he's going to have is he's going to have an effective majority of the votes of that Freedom Caucus. And he says, I cannot and will not give up the family time. So I guess he's not going to give up the family time at least. But the blank check, apparently he's not going to get. And we'll see if the Washington Post says that he has kept his dignity intact. Is the dignity the... I mean, it's so funny to refer to dignity, meaning he preserves his right to cave into Obama whenever he wants and not have any protest from those few in the House who are actually standing up for our rights. That's what they mean by dignity. He needs to you know, be able to have his way with respect to caving in to Obama on behalf of all of us. <laughs> John, John Roberts in the chat room says, you have to have dignity before there is any question of keeping it. And he says, the more I hear, the more he sounds like even a more cowardly repeat of Boehner. I mean, you might say that, you know, at least Boehner had to drink to do all the stuff that he did, but who knows? Uh, there are some people now, you know, if you're comparing Ryan to Joe Biden and the Post was praising Joe Biden for, you know, deciding that the window has closed and he's not going to make a run for it because he can't make an effective run for it. Mark Stein and some readers of Mark Stein, notably Barbara Nelson, who I got this from on Facebook, um, he says, he says, well, you know, yeah, Joe Biden, he's announcing that he's not going to run. Um, but he says that he is giving a speech that sounded like a campaign launch speech in the process. So he has a Rose Garden ceremony. Barack Obama's right there. And he announced that he's not running for president. And he says, has anybody ever done that before? And then he says, and he followed it with what sounded like a campaign launch speech. And he says, the event appeared to him, this is Stein, he says, the event appeared to me to leave him with some wiggle room in the event of a sudden development, such as, say, Hillary's indictment. And as we'll see in a few minutes, Hillary's indictment is looking more and more likely. So still, even by the standards of this extremely bizarre campaign season, the Biden bubble has been weird. Uh, posing as, as his own unnamed source, he disclosed to a newspaper columnist that the last words of his dying son were, were the deathbed wish for the dad to run for president. Um, he says, I don't really see how you can leak something like that and then not run for president, but maybe it's just another trial balloon, he says. Um, you know, Barbara went on to say that she speculated that what might be going on is they want to go ahead and let Hillary do the debates and take the heat. And, you know, Hillary has been, at least in the eyes of the media, performing spectacularly when challenged on all sorts of fundamental issues. And she just keeps going and going and going. I don't know if she's got some awesome evasion drugs or what that are fueling her ability to keep her spirits up when she is being directly shown to be a liar and a lawbreaker. I don't know. But anyway, she's able to take the heat. So why not let all these other people go out there in the debates? Biden would look horrible in the debates. Go ahead, let the Democratic convention take place where they're going to go ahead and, you know, coronate, nominate their candidate 
and maybe at the very last minute, Hillary's going to be indicted and speculates Barbara. She says, what if all of the delegates that were going to go to Hillary go over to Biden and then, boom, he is coronated when, without even ever having to go to any of the debates right there at the convention. And then the only debates he has to do are the debates against the Republican nominee. And maybe he thinks he can do just as good a cleanup job as he did with Paul Ryan, right? Now, can you believe in a debate between Biden and Paul Ryan, it is Paul Ryan who, I mean, who comes out losing. You know, you would never imagine that. Biden is always the one who's so prepared and has all the figures in hand and he's very intelligent and, you know, the master of all this. And somehow Biden wiped the floor with Ryan. I don't know. Trevor in the chat room says, when was Hillary ever really challenged? We are about to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, is it is there some kind of a racket going on? Right. This is where we get racket. Is it a racket? We think that Biden has quit. But as Stein observes, the way in which he dropped out of the race seems very unusual. And in fact, he gave what sounded like a campaign speech. And then maybe later, he's just kind of prepping himself. It's like, oh, well, I wasn't going to run, but now that I am needed, I need to step in because Hillary Clinton was indicted, I'll make the huge sacrifice and, and step in. It's an interesting idea, and it would be very good for the Democrats not to have Biden have too much screen time where he's being grilled on anything of substance whatsoever. So. I could believe it. I could believe that there's some sort of a racket there. So thanks, Barbara, for sharing that with me. The one thing, if you don't, I think, look at any of the other stories or links on my blog today, again, don'tletitgo.com, I put together a set of program notes pretty much every week, and I've got, just like last week, a long list of things that I think you should check out over there. What you should do today, after this show is over, is watch the YouTube video that I've embedded there. And that video is courtesy of Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer, who have isolated the 11-minute, and yeah, it's 11 minutes, but it's it's worthwhile, the 11-minute portion in which Congressman Jordan is grilling Hillary Clinton on the exact facts that show her to have misled the American people about the you know the truth behind the Benghazi attacks because as you know immediately after these attacks and actually during the attacks uh Hillary was out there implying that the cause of the attacks was a demonstration in reaction to a certain video a video that was critical of Muhammad and Islam and Jordan shows that Hillary was very well aware and and told at least three different people, some of them diplomatic people in Egypt and, and some of them in her own family, that while she was telling them that we knew, she used the word no, we know it is a terrorist attack, she was at the same time on the other, you know, one side of her mouth, she's telling her family and diplomatic contacts that it, we know it was a terrorist attack that this particular group claimed responsibility. And then out of the other side of her mouth, she is issuing an official statement to the American people implying that it was because of the video. Now, some people attribute to the video. And then, of course, what was on the news shows all weekend, 
they sent out their lackey and had her say, you know, Rice had her go out all weekend and say it was due to this video, this inflammatory video, this inflammatory video. And Jordan is excellent and masterful here in pointing out the timing of all the different statements, you know, at such, and, and she was sending some of these out about, you know, we know that it was the attack. And she also sent the one about, you know, it's blame, blame it on the video at 10 PM while the attack in Benghazi was still going on, where there were still two Americans alive defending themselves on the roof of, um, of the, um, the compound in Benghazi. So, I mean, this is, insane showing her in a contradiction and she tries to get out of it by pointing to in effect you know it depends on what the meaning of the word is is that she had chosen some keywords in the thing some people attribute it to but he points out exactly what the motive was as well which is they wanted to look good going into the election that it would be acceptable if this was due to some sort of protest or demonstration against an inflammatory video. And in fact, what it was is it shows her incompetence. Um, he did an excellent job. And, you know, in, in terms of reporting, so-called reporting, and in terms of rackets, I want you to, you know, again, watch that video, see what an excellent job he does, see how he shows the contradictions in what she told what set of people versus what she told the American people. She clearly lied to the American people. She knew in her mind that it had nothing to do with the video. He explains in there how they all knew that while there was a protest against the video in Cairo, there was no such thing in Benghazi. And that if there had been, certain things would have gone very differently if there had been a demonstration. So um, she knew and nonetheless, she told us something very different from what she was contemporaneously telling different people. She blatantly lied, as Fiona puts it here in the chat room. Um, so he exposes it. And then what is the news media coverage of it like? It's like, meh. And just today, as I was going around preparing for the show, I found this one story and I felt like I had to share it with you. You probably don't want to give clicks and traffic to this blog, but I did have to go ahead and post the link there just to share it with you so you could see an example of how people on the left are taking this. So again, you know, this is another example. Remember Ted Cruz? He exposed the president of the Sierra Club and he goes to the president of the Sierra Club and he says, look, if I give you information that shows that your model is wrong, I show you information, facts, that contradict the predictions of your model, will you take back basically what you say about the severity of anthropogenic global warming or climate change? And the guy just keeps like a broken record sticking to the fact that he's going to keep appealing to his authority of the so-called 97% of the so-called experts and the blah, blah, blah. It's this willingness to evade on behalf of what you know they already have in their mind, their predetermined outcome that they have. So the predetermined outcome of the left right now is if Hillary is the candidate, they're standing by Hillary no matter what. And so how is it that a news website per, you know, reports on this, right? And again, they have access to this. They can watch the 11 minutes 
in which this guy exposes her just as well as you and I. I think if you're honest, you look at this and you think, okay, this is this is trouble for Hillary. This is trouble for her. And yet the headline of this little Jezebel blog, it's called Jezebel, a left-wing website. This is what it says. It says, why angry old men calling a meeting to yell at a woman is always a spectacular failure. That's their characterization of what went on in this hearing. It's just angry old men calling a meeting to yell at a woman. Yeah, that's all it is. It's not people who are standing up on behalf of the American people. He's excellent. You know, he says the American people can, they don't like it, but they can take it if sometimes our servicemen or ambassadors even, sometimes Americans will die in order to fight for our country on behalf of you know, uh, doing some service for our country. They don't like it, but they can handle that. He says what they can't handle is having their government lie to them. And he, I don't think he said it exactly that way, but he says, you know, you have to be able to trust what is coming from your government. And he showed right there that, you know, again, she knew, she said she knew one thing and she was telling us another thing. Um now, Ed in the chat room says, probably true, it's bad optics in this perception only society. So he's saying that the headline is true, that it is bad for... Now, for um, I, I don't think that Jordan is that old. You know, he doesn't even have gray hair, but he's certainly upset. He isn't coming across as out of control angry. But yeah, that's how they want to dismiss it. It's just angry old men calling a meeting to yell at a woman. Now, I guess they could have chosen a female to be there and I guess you could do that but this is the sort of concession I don't think we should make I think that we need to get to a point where we're going to call people to actually look at facts and judge them accordingly Um, I mean what would you do Ed if you were going to hold this hearing I think Jordan did an excellent job of clearly pointing out all the various facts that he needed to make his case in succession with the slides clearly calmly and he didn't, you know, let Hillary get away with stuff, I thought. But um you can you can tell me how he could have handled it better. I'd be I'd be interested to hear that. I do have a phone call. Let me go ahead and grab that over here. Hi, who's this? It's Bosch. I'm outside, it's a little loud, sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, Hi Bosch. I just said one thing, and then uh, I get off, and they call back in five, ten minutes. Uh, what was the title? It was about old men going angry, old men going after a woman. Right. Why angry no, after old men? An, oh, hold on, after an old woman, though. No, she, she's old. Any woman. you're yelling at any woman. Hold on a second. Why did they leave the fact out that she's old? She's older than Reagan was when Reagan. Why did they leave that yeah. out? Anyway, I thought that was yeah. fundamental. Yes, yes. Um, but <laughs> that she was old was fundamental? Yes, it's okay. fundamental. <laughs> but, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, they clearly put out here proof positive that she yeah. was lying to the American yeah, but, people. Yeah, but you know, listen, see, the media, they pre-hearing, uh, they said, look, she's going to come out of this like roses, no matter what happens. They already planned. 
to release those titles. They, are, they already had them. They already had their stories written up and then put the details after the fact. They said, look, right. this, will, right. this will not stop her. This won't stop her no matter what they do. Don't worry about it. And, well, and this, and this is why I have it in part of the... This is why I have it in part of the the racket portion. You could also right. put it under the re, the the quote unquote reporting element of yeah. this show too. But I mean, I, this idea that you could watch this, see the evidence that this woman who is purporting to run for president of the United States, that she is the kind of person when our people are at risk, yep. people who people who she's responsible for, they're still under fire in Benghazi. There were still some people alive there, and she knew they were yeah. probably going to die. And she's out there doing the CYA with the memo yeah. saying, oh, well, some people attributed this to the video. And okay, how about, how about, how about, inexcusable. How about perception-wise? How about perception-wise? Ed brings up perception. How about the perception that this woman who is, being, who is culpable in the deaths of those Americans is smiling and laughing. How about that quote unquote perception? How about that? That she doesn't give a rat's ass about the lives of Americans that are under yeah. her charge. I, I watched this 11 minute clip and I didn't see her laughing. How long after that was she laughing? I don't know. I, I, could, I could not watch the whole thing. Impossible. But there was okay. a clip of her absolutely laughing, loud, uh, like a cackle, you know, like a witch. And then there are other ones where she's smiling and smiling. Now she smiled at one point with uh, Jim Jordan. She did smile right. at one point. Right. And she put her eyebrows up like, oh, uh, this guy is trying to beat me. You know? um, look, and also the dismissal of the Republicans who challenged her, I don't appreciate either. Jim Jordan did a good job. I don't know what more he can do. Meaning if Hillary doesn't turn into a, a, a puddle of remorse and regret and resigns you know, and, and basically leads the, uh, the race, they failed. That's not their job to do that. Their job is to make sure that she cannot get away with this. She cannot get away with this, and right. she shouldn't. No. I mean, anyone else, you know, besides the emails, besides all the, the email problems that she has, besides that, you know, that she's under investigation for, she basically told American people lies, knowing, knowing that they were lies, while Americans were still fighting, as you noted. They were still fighting for their lives. Yep. The, the attack, as I understand, the attack went on until about 11.30. Yeah. And, and she, were, sent, ten, she sent this memo out at 10.08 p.m. And they were they were fighting, and they died within that period. And she didn't care. She didn't give a damn. We want someone like that to be leader of the free world, of the what's left of the free world. I mean, at least, so at least postpone a, your political CYA until after, you know, well, all the well, people. Well, but, you know, the thing is, I mean... They the first cover up was to protect Obama. Now the second cover up, you know, right now is to protect Hillary. So we want two people who ignored Americans dying. We want two people, meaning last time, 2012, they they lied their asses off, and now they can do the same thing. Right. And uh, the you know the idea also, I don't know if you want me to bring it up now, or I call it back in a few minutes about the the inevitability factor, quote unquote, of Hillary. Yeah, let's go ahead and skip a little bit. So everyone who's kind of following along with the program notes, I'm going to skip over one second to what I call the radio, the radio element. Again, I've got Ryan, right? I've got Ryan Rackett's reporting radio racism and route. So let's skip over to radio. And this is about Mark Levin. What I have linked to over at the blog, uh, Bosch, is your post from Facebook 
and I essentially call it Mark Levin's defeatism. Go ahead and explain what you heard Mark Levin talk about. Do you mind reading that because I think it's good? It's not that long. Oh, okay. You want me to you want me to read it as formulated yeah. here? You think you can never say it this well again? Okay. No. Um, no. I mean, what you know, what your folks writing, you just can't say it better. Right. So. Here it is. Uh, This is what he he wrote over on Facebook. He says, so I hear Mark Levin actually say that Hillary will win because the GOP establishment is attacking Cruz, Trump, etc., that the GOP would rather Cruz or Trump lose than Hillary lose. Um, and you're giving him, you know, a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. You say he he may have had a bad night and might pretend he never said it, but he did. Uh, He says, I understand the fear of a Hillary presidency, but Levin should know better. Having worked under a president, Reagan, who had the entire GOP establishment against him, who did not have the Tea Party movement, who did not have talk radio with Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, etc., who did not have Fox News, the blogosphere, etc., and yet he broke through, he got the Republican nomination, and had two massive landslides. Not saying history will repeat itself, but for Levin to put that defeatism out there without countering it, at least from the part I heard so far, is not only wrong, but it falls for the inevitability ruse that surrounds Hillary. After two terms of Obama, America is ready for a hardcore change in the White House. No matter what you hear from the left or even the right on this, Hillary represents a continuation of Obama, and no matter how the scum media has tried, everyone outside of brainless leftists knows he's been horrific. There's a long fight ahead, a year until the election. It's time to get serious and each do what we can in this fight in our own individual ways to stop the systematic, cold-blooded destruction of America. And that's end quote from you, Bosch. So you think you can never say anything that good again, huh? Of course I can. No, <laughs> of course I can. But um, I just it's, it, it's terrible that Levin, of all people, who's always fighting, and he's one of the best voices on the right, to even say the words... Hillary will win, and it doesn't right. matter that 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 they're saying it in like in the context of well because the GOP to hell with the GOP. The GOP will will not be nominated. An individual will, and the individual that we are going to choose because right now, the word is that Jeb Bush is cooked. He's toast. Bloomberg reports it. Breitbart right. reports it. Some some other outlets that he is it's over. So basically, their guy is already gone. Yep. So it's over. So now they have to, no matter what, they have to get behind a guy that we choose because their guy has been beaten by us. Well, or they're actually going to decide that they like Hillary better. I mean, that's disgusting, but... Well, 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 they can do that, but they can't act on it. They can't actually go out campaign for her and endorse her publicly. They can't do that. As Republicans, they can't, even if they want to. Maybe, maybe what they'll have the idea of is they'll say, okay, um, you know, we will pretend to endorse the nominee, but we'll, you know, kind of pull some punches a little bit. We'll keep some of the money in our coffers and reserve it so that we can preserve it for the campaigns of all of these crony congressmen, all the crony congressmen to get reelected, and that's way more important than any of these guys being president, right? No doubt about it, but in the end, I think they would rather have a Republican as than a Democrat as president, because they will have a little more cachet, a little more pull, a little more power. And they can say, well, one of my own is president. So I think in the end, they have to submit to the fact that it's not going to be one of their boys. It's just not. Right. Right. Sure. And uh, I think Cruz, I think, you know, 
as I, as I put up, that he has the ultimate, ultimate allies, which is the American people. We are the ultimate allies. Reagan knew that. Reagan always invoked us in a benevolent, good-natured way, the American people, unlike Hillary. When she calls, you know, it's, it's with contempt. You can almost hear it in her voice. It's, it's the American people. It's us. And, again, Jeb Bush, as of right now, from what the stories you read, it doesn't look good. It looks really bad. And Well, and, and, we, and we don't even have to look at Hillary's tone, so to speak. We can just look at Hillary's actions, right? The, what yes. she did in Benghazi shows her contempt for the American people. If she Absolutely. decides that she does not have to tell us the truth, the truth that she knows, yeah. the truth that she's telling the truth that she's telling her own family, the truth that she also, is telling, uh, you know, diplomats from Egypt. Also one thing, also one thing. She had the power, her and Obama had the power to send Americans there, ASAP, with mm-hmm. everything we had to save right. Americans, and they deliberately chose not to. She goes, mm, no, no, I'm going to try to save my ass and save his ass so I can become president one day, because this is not good for me. It's not good for me. Well, and, and I mean, here's one thing for sure, is that if they had sent someone there, the people that they had sent there would have found that there was no yes. demonstration, there was no protest, yes. that this yep. was just hardcore jihadists yep. who came there with a concerted attack, well-armed, well-trained, right? They were already plotting with Americans under fire, already plotting. Mm-hmm. That's how evil they are. That's how un-American they are. Politics over American lives, politics yeah. over American lives, yeah. time and time and time again. Yeah, yeah. over and over again. And, and, and the idea that she's inevitable, it's it's a myth. And for Mark Levin to give a little credence to that is sick. This guy's a kick-ass fighter. Okay, but let me let me says, let me play I'm, devil's I'm advocate for a second. Let me let me play devil's advocate. In saying that, was he giving a, a kind of a warning to the Republicans that Republicans, you better get behind? These electable yeah, look, Republican look, candidates. See, yeah, but there's one thing you can say that you can say you better get behind. When you say Hillary's going to win, that's a different, it's a whole different ballgame. Well, but I mean, a you lot of people do this, like, it's like you know, like a like a coach. You know, you watch you watch those movies, and there's the really hard coach that's yelling and screaming at the kid, and the kid is breaking down, and he hates the coach, and then he makes a great breakthrough, yeah, but, and he does all these awesome things. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you know is, is Levin? Is Levin like the angry coach of the Republican Party, and he's just telling him, "Look, you know, Hillary's going to win. Is that what you want? You want Hillary to win? You know?" Yeah, but you know what? I mean, he didn't put it that way. He actually said Hillary's going to win because the GOP will go after the nominee. They won't. The fact is, they went after Reagan. He wiped the floor with them. He got to us. He got the American people. He said, "You know what? No matter what they're going to throw my way, I am speaking." And you know what? The imperfect Reagan, you know, people, they still criticize him to say he's better than anyone who came after him, anyone, and a lot, and a lot of those who, who, became, who came before him. So, you know, the idea that we need the perfect candidate is impossible. Cruz is not perfect, but he's no, the guy today. Is somebody better? No, no, I, I, don't, I don't think there is. But um, anyway, I hope, I hope that Levin was doing a poorly delivered pep talk and maybe because he was in, like you said, he had an off night or whatever. But you know, yeah. maybe 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 what, maybe what he'll do later, maybe what he'll do later is he won't miss. You know, he won't, uh, you know, deny saying that, but he'll say that he was doing it in the spirit of a wake up. Uh, 
you know, he's a very honest guy. I doubt he'd say he did it in, in like, in a deceitful way. I think, I think hopefully he comes out and says, you know what, I said some words to say which I shouldn't have. What I meant was this, that the GOP had better get behind a guy that they don't like. That even if they don't like him, it doesn't matter. They got to, but the fact is they won't. I mean, when I'm, Reagan was I'm, inevitable, I'm, that's I'm, the only I'm so, time. I'm so sick of people saying that they, quote, don't like Ted Cruz. Uh, on... On the substance of everything, he is the best of that field. And yeah, I mean, you cannot. I mean, if you, you know, people say also, I don't like him personally. First of all, you don't know him personally. You don't mm-hmm. know him personally. But the right. fact is, he's the best. And when it comes to our, our self defense, he's, he's the best. When it comes to the expansion of government and rolling it back, he's the best. He's the best on our promise. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Ed in the chat room says he thinks that the math is on Hillary's side, and that our chances are slim. Okay, that's it. I quit. Um, you know what? He's right. It's over. And he, and he thinks over. that Hillary. Hillary you know yeah. He th- he thinks Hillary's stature has increased after the hearings. Oh please, BS. Only the media will 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 promote that. And you know what? It's sad that Ed is is backing that up to some extent. It's absolute BS. The fact is, she was proven to be a lying rat, and proven you know what, to you know what, have I would, I would, back I would like, I would like. Okay, first of all, Ed, do you think that there was something wrong with the way Jordan exposed what she did in this video? And then, if the answer to that is no, if you think yes, this really does show who Hillary Clinton is and what she cares about then why don't we just blow this video far and wide as much as we can? All of us who are listening to this show right now, share this 11 minutes and say, before you ever vote for this woman, you need to see that she doesn't care about telling the truth to the American people about an important event uh, in people's lives. See, because Ed sounds as defeatist as Levin, and we don't need that. We don't need that. We have a year, a year left of fighting to make sure that the horror of a Hillary presidency doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not inevitable. But, you know, when Ed says that, he puts in people's heads and like, well, yeah, he might be right. And they won't fight. They they, they, they just be resigned to it. And that's not yeah. what we need I mean, to do. You, know, to kick ass. you can, uh, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing from Leonard Peikoff, but if you see that there is a chance where you can actually... However small. Right. You have to keep fighting for it. Definitely have to do yeah. that. And uh, and we're going to continue. So I'm going to go ahead and grab the call because I think it is Ed on the other line. So I'm going to debate with him for All a right. little bit. Of- okay. All right. Okay. okay. We'll talk. We'll talk. This is Ed, right? Yeah. Hi, Annie. How you doing? Hi. So Hillary's going to win, and we should just give up. Well, I've been reading some of the liberal uh, news sites this morning, and. Uh, it's it's kind of all very along positive. the lines all along the lines of what I told you, the one about the why are the angry old men calling the meeting to yell at the woman kind of thing? Well, some are like that, uh, but others are like, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, mistakes were made, but uh, people make mistakes in foreign policy all the time, and, you know, uh, nobody did anything criminal. I mean, you and I know that the whole Clinton corruption machine and it, it, I mean, from beginning to end is scandal plagued and uh, you know, they, they do a lot of what they, they do with the foundation to scam money from foreign 
countries in order to influence policy. I mean, we all know that, but I think that uh, we all know she lied about the video um, being the cause of the demonstrations. But Mm -hmm. I think enough fog was presented yesterday um, and enough. Yeah, I thought Jordan's questions were good. I I thought Gowdy had some good questions. Obviously, I didn't watch all 12 hours because I had to work. Um, But there was enough partisan, you know, nonsense. Um, as I've said before, when if you want to have serious hearings, you have a single person, prosecutor, ask questions. You don't let the members ask questions because they pretty much only grandstand. So you get the student counsel for the committee to ask the questions. That's what they did in Watergate. That's why you knew the Watergate hearings were serious. Right. Um, and if they were to have, you know, hell, they could have they could have hired a woman prosecutor. I'm sure there are plenty of uh, women who could have torn Hillary to shreds yesterday. But, um, yeah, it, it did. It looked like partisan grandstanding, and that's what it's being portrayed as in the liberal media. And people really want just an excuse for Hillary, right? I mean, they don't care about this. They don't, they don't care if she's corrupt. She has a vagina. I mean, that's all that matters, right? I mean, we want <laughs> we want the vagina. Um, and... Uh, and <laughs> Uh, it's it, it, it so bad. I their... mean, what was what was the, her her key? I think she says she wants to be judged on the merits, but one of the merits is that she's a woman. Yeah, one of the merits is that she's a woman. Exactly. She doesn't want to be judged um, just because she's a woman, but you she wants you to consider that as a merit of her candidacy. Yes. So that's that's the way the ball. So ball okay. Happens. So what, I, I don't what think is, they did. What is your um, what is your personal strategy? So you, you're reading everything this morning, given the yeah. way that the liberal media is able to cover for her and still have her look good and everything. Your reading of the tea leaves is that she actually is going to win. So what do you do? You give up? You don't fight? Oh no, I, I don't. I, I don't think she's definitely going to win. I think it, it. I think it's looking very positive for her right now. Uh, I think our our hopes are slim. Um, you know, obviously Trump is a disaster. I I I think the Republican Party will probably back off from Trump at the last minute. Um, they tend to do that uh, in the last few election cycles. They'll be all psyched with somebody, and then yeah, it's just not good, and they'll back off. And you know, who do they back off to? You know, do they back off to Carson? Well, Carson, right now they're going to Carson. Some of them, anyway. And, uh, of course, I'm not a big fan of Carson either. I don't think he's, I mean, you know, certainly if I'm going to hire someone to dismantle Obamacare, maybe he'd be the guy. But uh, and so then who do they back off? Maybe maybe he falls, you know, maybe it's Rubio, maybe it's Cruz, maybe it's maybe it's Bush. Uh, I I, I think that if it's Bush, uh, it would be the the biggest This is the the breaking news today is that Bush is going to drop out soon. I read things like that. I read about his money troubles. He's he's cut staff. He's cutting salaries, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, And, you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, I I certainly would like to see him drop out. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe if it's Rubio or Cruz, maybe we have a chance. If it's anybody else, I just don't see it happening. I really don't think the country is going to vote Donald Trump in as president if he's the Republican nominee. And, uh, you know, I don't, as nice a guy, and if I had a child with a neurological disease, Ben Carson would be on top of the list. But I, I, he, he's, 
he he's kind of all over the map too. Uh, I just don't think they'll uh, they'll go for him. So we'll we'll see. I don't think it's over um, by any stretch of the imagination, right. but I think um, when Biden dropped out, the immediate headline on red state was looks like Hillary's not going to be indicted by the FBI. Yeah, but then that, what do you th- what do you think of the Stein uh, and then you know Barbara Nelson elaborated on it. I kind of like that uh, thing, which is that you know he drops out for now, and then they do the indictment like just before the convention, so that he can slip in, get the nomination without having had to appear in any of the debates and look as bad as he is. I think that's. Obama could make it happen. Obama could make that happen. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, uh, Obama, um, you know, has power over the Justice Department, you know, to a certain extent. Nothing can, everything has to be a wink and a nod, right? Nobody can actually say, you will not indict Hillary. There can be no kind of statement like that. But um, just like the Lois Lerner thing, which just happened, um, like moments ago, uh, there will be no charges in the Lois Lerner IRS thing, which is clearly oh, criminal. Oh, of course not. That is clearly, disgusting. And clearly obstruction of justice. You know, they, she deleted all her, you know, all her emails. And, I mean, it's clearly obstruction of justice. And she did it after she was subpoenaed. I mean, you're a lawyer, right? You're subpoenaed, and then you delete documents. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean that's – come on. And that's obstruction um, of justice. So I'm, I'm going to have to add this to the rackets portion of the program notes yeah. today. That is a racket if I've ever heard of one. So, I mean, Hillary's, uh, you know, the, the charges against her are um, are just as clear as uh, Lois Lerner. But if Lois Lerner skates, I I don't see it. I think they're going to have to beat Hillary on the merits. And uh, currently her merit is that she has female sex organs. Um, okay, so then we suppose we get Carly Fiorina as a running mate of, you know, you fill in the blank for the nominee. Yeah, I think Carly would be a decent running mate. I mean, I'm not a Carly fan, but uh, if we have to, you know, have our estrogen um, quota, um, she, now, you could do I, worse. I gotta, I'm, it's, it's the top of the hour. I'm going to have to start making some more progress on my big old list, but l- okay. give me, right. give me um, why you're not a Carly fan in a soundbite. Uh, Carly Smart but she didn't, she really didn't do that good running HP. Um, so I, I don't, uh, you know, the, the merger with, with compact was a disaster. And in fact, uh, I, I, I question her primary qualification, which is her business skills. Um, also from a policy perspective, she is kind of all over the map. Uh, so, but you know, I mean, I'll take her. I I vote for, you know, there are people I won't vote for. I won't vote for Bush. I won't vote for Kasich. Um, but uh, I will definitely vote, happily vote for Fiorina. So we'll okay. see. Sounds good. I'll let you go. Thank you for calling in, Ed, and we will talk again, I am sure, and I'm glad that you were able to join us on this Friday afternoon. So let's go ahead and go back to the program notes over at the blog again, don'tletitgo.com, and we're going to jump back into what I call reporting in scare quotes. And this is the story, the kind of smear job on Theranos that we saw. And I think we talked a little bit about it last week and it's continued 
to go on this week. Rob Aviera gave me this story from, I believe, Gizmodo. Yes, it's Gizmodo. And this is, of course, also how I found the story about the angry old men calling a meeting to yell at a woman. So thanks, Duel, for those. Um, But the headline of this is the makers of that, quote, miracle and, quote, needle-free blood test are on the defensive. Um, Even the headline shows you where Gizmodo is because they put it as, you know, miracle, like, oh, they said it was a miracle. And, you know, now they're on the defensive and we're going to pretend to be objective about it. But really, Gizmodo is no fan, as far as I can tell, of intellectual property. And I think, you know, as far as I can tell, you know, I don't have anymore a Wall Street Journal subscription. So I don't have the ability to read the entire coverage from Wall Street Journal. I'm seeing some of the secondary coverage from like Wired and other tech blogs and stuff. But as I understand it, uh, Wall Street Journal is basically complaining about things that exist because of Theranos having proprietary technology that it naturally, of course, is going to keep secret. I mean, think about the value that they are creating. They are going to give us blood tests, I think over 200 different types of tests that can be done from, actually it says nearly 200 tests. So nearly 200 tests that can be done on a few drops of blood taken from your finger after a little finger stick, okay? And do that as opposed to having an intravenous, you know, blood draw, the usual thing. Um, It's less painful. It is a lot less hassle. Who has ever been in line to get their blood drawn behind someone who had difficult veins that they couldn't, you know, find the veins and stuff? I I waited a half an hour one time while they tried to find one of, you know, and find a, uh, you know, and successfully uh, puncture a vein on this older gentleman. And bless his soul, I mean, they're like sticky needles here and there and everything, and they can't do it. Imagine if you can just get a few drops of blood from a finger prick and it's over. Time, hassle, pain, everything else, and cost. Right now, you would think that the liberals, like the people at Gizmodo, would be very excited about the cost savings. But rather, they would rather tear down heroes and tear down achievement and innovation. And this is what essentially they are all doing here. So, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, um, Theranos has answered the charges, but, you know, Wall Street Journal says it doesn't really answer and what I refer you to do is go ahead and look at these them, you know, themselves and see. But basically, as far as I understand it, Theranos is trying to keep its technology proprietary. And in doing so, they're not disclosing enough to make the Wall Street Journal and Gizmodo and everybody else happy. But at the same time, they are seeking FDA clearance for all their tests. And they have already received FDA approval for at least one test, and they're going through the process on the other. And so while they're doing that, they're also using parallel uh, older technologies to analyze blood samples. This is all out in the open. They're providing great service. They're getting all sorts of, you know, sorts of great customer reviews. They are not hiding the ball as, as in terms of what type of service they're providing, that they are pursuing this strategy of getting FDA approval rather than uh, lose 
their proprietary secrets by going through, for example, peer-reviewed journals, which is the kind of thing that they want. So definitely go check that out. I want you to draw your attention just to one aspect of Theranos's own press release. I put a link to both the Gizmodo story and the Theranos press release over at my blog, don'tletitgo.com. Check it all out there. But in the press release, um, they answer point by point the uh, incorrect points that the Wall Street Journal makes. And I just want to go to one, which is the sources. Um, Wall Street Journal used anonymous sources. And so who did they use when they were talking about the technology and, you know, was Theranos saying one thing and doing another and everything else? They used former employees and Theranos themselves, they're saying these former employees that the Wall Street Journal spoke to apparently did not understand Theranos technology. They are unfamiliar with the processes that are currently employed by the company and they do not understand the regulatory framework that Theranos operates under. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm quoting from their statement. But by making them anonymous, readers do not know when they worked at Theranos or for how long, whether they even worked in Theranos' laboratory as opposed to some other division in the company or why they left, right? So you might want to have anonymous sources, but nonetheless, the credibility of the source, as a, you know, in terms of what knowledge that source actually had, some of these facts would be relevant. Lab experts. They say the report the reporter attributes certain statements to lab experts, and most of these so-called experts are anonymous. And Theranos is saying there's no reason to keep these experts anonymous. All anonymity does is obfuscate their qualifications and the potential that they have a vested interest in criticizing Theranos, such as being one of Theranos' competitors. For example, they say the reporter relies on unidentified lab experts for the proposition that, quote, finger-pricked blood samples can be less pure than those drawn from a vein because finger-pricked blood often mixes with fluids from tissue and cells that can interfere with tests, end quote. And this was a previous quote from Quest Diagnostics, a competitor, of course, who nearly said the exact same thing to the New Yorker in December 2014, and they go ahead and they show the source. So, you know, why not let people see this? Um, SFMO Mo in the chat room is saying Elizabeth Holmes is a very impressive CEO, and I definitely agree here. Uh, the thing that she gets kudos for this week is walking into the so-called lion's den because, as you know, the Wall Street Journal articles were published last week. And I think well in advance of that publication last week, she had been scheduled to speak at a Wall Street Journal-hosted conference in Southern California this week. I think it was on Wednesday or something. And the whole scuttlebutt was, you know, was she going to show up? Was she not going to show up? She showed up and she defended herself right there at Wall Street Journal's own event, which takes bigger balls than most people have for sure. Um, let me go back to the press release here. They talk about other sources that the Wall Street Journal were using. They say, while ignoring Theranos on the record statements and our laboratory director and senior scientist, the reporter offered great latitude and seemingly abandoned his skepticism when speaking to Theranos critics. For example, the reporter relies on Rochelle Gibbons, but he failed to report that 
Rochelle Gibbons is a friend of an individual whom Theranos sued for patent invalidity and other claims. During the litigation last year, that individual repeatedly contacted Mrs. Gibbons via email to solicit her testimony against Theranos. And they say when the friend tried to use statements by Mrs. Gibbons against Theranos in litigation, she refused to make any statement under oath and the court found that her statements should not be credited. And then third, Mrs. Gibbons was married to a Theranos employee who passed away in May 2013. She never worked for the company and had no input into Theranos' business, let alone its technology. Um, And they say, we told this to the reporter, including in writing, on July 1st, 2015 and July 26, 2015, and yet, What did the reporter do? He ran with the story using that source. So that is just one indication of the, you know, inaccuracy, the sort of smear job that the Wall Street Journal is doing on Theranos. When you read some of the quotations of Wall Street Journal trying to put a question in your mind with regard to the safety and the possibility of this technology being a success, those of you who have read Atlas Shrugged will find it very familiar it might sound a little bit reared and metalish, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But that's what we have under the scare quote reporting category for this week's show. Let's go on now to routes. Let's go to routes. And the first route, actually, no, we have to we have to go to racism, huh? Don't we? Um, for racism, all I have is there's an article giving you a little video clip of Obama defending the Black Lives Matter movement. And he says, you know, the the reason they say Black Lives Matter is not because other people's lives don't matter, but it's just that there's a particular problem in the black community that exists with respect to I guess the you know, their lives not being treated as if they matter that doesn't exist in other communities. That's his view. But if he is defending that movement, and in particular, the calls for senseless violence against police officers in that movement, this is troubling. And, you know, whenever you put a statement out there, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, this is where it gets really difficult to say, you know, what, what can you put out there as a slogan? What can you put out there as a tweet? Because if you take Black Lives Matter out of context, of course, everyone's going to take it as if you're saying that other people's lives don't matter. And the fact that Obama can give, you know, a four minute statement in which he defends it, you know, and saying no, it's not that other people's lives don't matter and this and this, you can no longer still defend this. And Black Lives Matter, they are out there demanding all sorts of kind of political power. As far as I under, as I know, I've I've heard that they are asking to have their own sponsored democratic debate. And I think they were offered a, da- a town hall, but they're not happy with that. They want it to be a real debate. They want power. That's what they're looking for. And the idea, you know, it's one thing to say there is some racism within police operations and it's a problem that needs to be looked at and then it's another thing to say okay we need serious political power such that we as an organization need to have our own democratic debate that we get to in effect control the questioning and and everything else that happens um 
they're trying to meet with Snowden and maybe Snowden's going to meet with DeRay and it, it, it's, it's troubling. Um, so there he is, you know, defending the, the phrase Black Lives Matter. Um, now let's go to routes. The first route is, of course, that Obama got clocked or punked, some people are saying. Um, the uh, Ahmed Mohammed, who has been called the clock boy, got to go to the White House for a little astronomy event that they had. And there's pictures of him. The president hugged him and he's smiling. And why is he there? He's there because he basically played a prank at his school. Uh, He says he built a clock, but people have shown convincing testimony that all he did was take apart a clock or take a case off a clock and put it in a different kind of case and make it look sort of suspicious. Uh, the story is is that he brought it to all of his classes all day long and didn't get any reaction about it until the very last class where I guess he was doing little more suspicious things with it in order to provoke that reaction, I would assume. And then, of course, when he does get a reaction, which many of us would understand because it sort of looked like a bomb, Uh, He screams Islamophobia and makes a big thing out of it and travels all over the place and gets free stuff and gets to go to the White House. And um, it looks like he actually, you know, Obama got punked on this. Um, Officially, there wasn't any scheduled meeting, but yes, he did go up and uh, Ahmed gets to go around with, you know, his picture of Obama greeting him and giving him a hug, and and that's shared all over Twitter. And I think now, uh, Ahmed, he's going to go to Qatar and take a, you know, take a scholarship that they're giving him. I mean, MIT isn't good enough for him. He's going to go ahead and leave this country where he supposedly wants to fit in, and he doesn't want to be discriminated against, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he's instead going to go to Qatar. After all that, I mean, imagine the president of the United States meets this kid. He wants to hold up this kid supposedly as an example of intellectual curiosity and scientific innovation, technological innovation, the future of the kids in our country with respect to science. And, you know, brings him to the White House and everything. And then Ahmed says, huh, I'm going to Qatar. So he was punked on so many levels. And it is really sad. I would say it would qualify as a route. Ed in the chat room says, please leave Ahmed and take all of your compatriots with you. I'm not sure if he's going to take his whole family with him. There was one report that his sister had gotten into trouble because of a bomb scare at school, that there was some sort of uh, prank tradition in their family or something. So yeah, play a prank, make some noise, get some attention, go to the White House and get a scholarship to a school in Qatar. The second route of the week is this, and it's probably the biggest route of the week, actually. And I I chose this particular story at the Globe and Mail to talk to you about. Uh, A friend of mine, Rob Tarr, on Facebook shared it. And the headline is, The World Welcomes Justin Trudeau, Canada's, quote, super hot new leader. He's super hot, apparently. Yeah. Um and this is how you get elected, I guess now. You, you're like this young, super hot person, and you can get elected as a uh, prime minister. Awesome. They say there he was in a 
tight t-shirt and red boxing gloves on BBC, Canada's new Prime Minister-designate. There he was again, shirtless and flexing this time on the homepage of Britain's The Independent Newspaper. Justin Trudeau was even more ubiquitous on social media, where Twitter and Facebook users traded links to pictures of him showcasing his um, leadership skills. And the quote is, um, the votes are in, and Canada has come out of its election with a super hot new leader. This was how the Australian news site news.com.au put it. And they say there were, of course, other more substantial reactions from abroad. Pro-Israeli and pro-Ukrainian websites worried that they had lost a strong friend in outgoing Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And, of course, we know that was with good reason because, as I understand it, one of the first things that Trudeau announced is that Canada would be withdrawing from the operations against ISIS in the Middle East, which I think is terrible news. Um, I say, meanwhile, the climate change crowd cheered. We know that's bad news, too. Russian state media seemed to take particular glee in the defeat of Mr. Harper, who had become one of President Vladimir Putin's loudest international critics. And then they're talking about some of the reaction is about, you know, he's camera friendly. And they say, uh, quote, I hate to say it, but I think Canada's new prime minister is really giving Putin a run for his money in the topless photo on the Internet department, tweeted some Libyan activist. So they want, you know, they don't want somebody who comes here and actually has some substance in terms of defending the rights of people or making things better. They would rather have somebody who is in line with the liberal agenda and looks good so that they have a diversion. They can talk about how hot he is. And that is what Canada has elected. There's been a number of subsequent articles. I did not share those, but you're welcome to go seek them out talking about the fact that Trudeau makes George W. Bush look super intelligent. So that if you were inclined to make jokes about how George W. Bush didn't have much of a brain, that uh, he's going to be even more disappointing. But, I mean, to me, it is tremendously disappointing. I was, you know, it was kind of cool. Even if United States seems to be declining in measures of economic and other types of freedom, whenever those you know yearly surveys of global economic and political freedom, whenever those are published, America seems to keep going down and down and down in the list. And Canada was surprisingly high on the list, and I was very happy for them. I believe they had conservatives for about nine years, and it, they were going in the right direction, and now it seems they're going in exactly the wrong direction. They're at our border to the north, creating a potential security risk, given that Trudeau, no doubt, is going to take in all sorts of so-called refugees, and among them, some terrorists. So this, I believe, is a route. It doesn't mean that we're going to lose the war, so to speak, but definitely a route. Shank Murray in the chat room here says he is a son of ex-Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. I believe I saw a picture of the two of them together in one of the articles that I was clicking around this morning. Here's another route for you, and I was sharing this on Facebook, both my personal page and the Don't Let It Go Unheard page. Massive solar power plant emits 46,000 tons of CO2. And my question was, you know, what is the carbon footprint of 
a solar power plant. They say President Obama once praised it. This is Investor's Business Daily, by the way. President Obama once praised it as a shining example of America's clean energy future. With projects like this one, he said at the site of a polar, the solar plant just before construction started, we're putting Americans to work producing clean, homegrown American energy. And they say the Department of Energy showered $1.6 billion in loan guarantees, billion with a B, as well as $600 million in tax credits. The plant is the Ivanpah Solar Power Facility, It's a behemoth that uses hundreds of thousands of mirrors spread out over more than five square miles of the Mojave Desert. The mirrors all aim at the tops of three 459-foot towers where the heat boils water in tanks, and this generates steam to turn the electricity-producing turbines. But they say it's not so squeaky clean after all. So this idea, they think it's going to be really clean. But nonetheless, even using this method, it emits, in the first year, it emitted 46,000 metric tons of CO2. They say this is just as much as a Frito-Lay plant in Bakersfield to do that by comparison. And why? Because it uses natural gas to function. It burns natural gas to preheat the water before the sun comes up. Then they say it has auxiliary gas boilers that kick in whenever cloud cover blocks the sun. Uh, The other thing they say, and Ed Powell had commented on this over on my Facebook page, it says uh, it also has a nasty habit of cooking birds that happen to fly too close to the towers. 35,000 birds have been cooked in the first year according to the desert sun. So you've got five miles of real estate that could be the next Las Vegas. And instead you've got all these mirrors that is leaving a big carbon footprint and cooking birds. Uh, Ed also mentions here, and he had mentioned this before as well, blinding pilots and airline passengers to boot. And again, your tax dollars are helping to pay for this, both in the form of loan guarantees and so-called tax credits. So I would call that a route if there ever was one. And this is another thing that Obama has done on us. I mean, you could say Obama got punked, but Obama did punk us as well. And I don't even think he cares if he gets punked, right? I really don't think he cares if he does. Um, This is a terrible piece of news, and I thank Jonathan Honig for first turning turning my awareness to this story. I actually linked to a a Jihad Watch story because I like Spencer's commentary on it. American soldier killed in effort to free Islamic State captives. Today we have news of the first U.S. soldier killed in Iraq since 2011. The captives that he and his fellow soldiers were trying to free Uh, were supposedly facing mass execution at the hands of ISIS. And Robert Spencer asks what I think is the pertinent question here. Why mount these dangerous half-measure operations at all instead of taking genuine action to destroy the Islamic State as Obama promised to do? You know, the question is, of these people, how many were there that they were, uh, you know, Freeing, and how many of them were people that we really should be spending our time freeing? 
they have 70 captives facing mass execution is what was said. But then they said that a lot of them were Iraqi police forces and perhaps not as many of the Kurdish, the innocent Kurdish people as we thought. But nonetheless, I mean, again, if if we are going to send our soldiers over there and put them at risk, we now have one who has died. Again, the first U.S. soldier since 2011 has been killed in Iraq. Um, if we're going to send them over there to die, then why not have it be for something that is a clear U.S. national security interest. And while I think it's horrible if there's going to be mass executions of innocent people, I would much rather see, if we're going to have forces on the ground, have them take out ISIS directly as opposed to engaging in this. But this is exactly the sort of thing that Obama and Bush before him would put as a priority, where you're going to go in there and free some people who may or may not keep the out. That's what they do. Um, yeah, Rob Aviera says he was from Oklahoma. And in fact, what the the virtue of the story that Jonathan shared with me is it told you his name. So go to the Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. Uh, Robert Spencer's story, unfortunately, doesn't tell you the name of the soldier, uh, whereas the story that Jonathan Honig shared with me does. There's a few more stories to look at. I've only got a minute left, so I'm going to have to refer you to don'tletitgo.com for the remaining stories. One about Facebook, universal search across the entire social network. I think that would be good as long as it, it does not hold anything back. Uh, another source of information for all of us to share news would be great. Uh, YouTube stars must sign an agreement or their videos won't be shown. I guess I'll have to talk about that on a future show because it's a complex issue. And then we'll end off with a little good news. Old rat brains rejuvenated and new neurons are grown thanks to an asthma drug. Medical science marches on and is putting out some promising stuff. And can it last in the era of Obamacare? That's what we have to ask. So everyone, I've got to go. Please go to DontLetItGo.com. Please share this show and please join me here in one week where I'll talk to you again. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care.